This is Payments Ground Game, where we go under the operational hood of Payments ISOs. Let's take a deep dive into the tactics you can use to strategically scale performance and your bottom line. Welcome to Payments Ground Game. I'm Elena Smith. And I'm Kevin Smith. Today, we're diving deep into the art of long-term strategy and goal setting in the payments industry. We'll talk about why aiming for a better product and service can be a more solid foundation than just chasing that big exit. We'll share our thoughts on how a high success rate may not be all that it's cracked up to be. We'll discuss the benefits of building your business slowly and securely while also keeping that cash flow healthy. From maintaining control through strategic growth to understanding the fine print of loans and investment deals, we're covering it all. We'll also dive into the complexities of equity partnerships, the double-edged sword of private equity, and the calculated risks of debt financing. Plus the personal side of business, how we've seen our own goals evolve over 12 years and why considering family interests and personal values is key. And of course, the nuances of bringing on business partners and when it's time to consider outside investment or when it's time to even consider an exit. So whether you're bootstrapping or looking for that next big investment, join us as we map out the strategies for a sustainable value-driven approach to growth in the payments industry. Let's go find our balance between growth and lifestyle right here on Payments Ground Game. So I think the best place to start in this discussion is thinking about what you want out of the business you've started. As a founder, what does that look for you? What does that look like for you? Growing to a certain size or a certain income, exiting at a certain dollar amount, an IPO, creating a multi-generational business. Uh, you know, you really need to think about those things in terms of what do you want this to turn into? And how do you plan on something not turning into what you want it to be? I don't know what you mean by that, Kevin. <laughs> what do you mean? What if you want to have a multi-generational business and none of your kids want any part of it? Exactly. That's one of the big points, I think. Is your family even interested in the business that you've created? Would they want to take over this business? So those are important questions and discussions to have if that is your ultimate plan. And I know you and I have sat back on this. I know, you know, for the last 12 years, I think you could ask us that question, you know, six different iterations, every, you know, once every two years, you could ask us that question. And I think that answer changed for you and I probably six or seven different times in, you know, during that time period. Yeah, you think they might be interested, but at the end of the day, they have their own hopes and dreams and you want the best for your kids. You want them to be able to do um, what they want to do. And if it's not payments, then you have to be realistic about that. Well, and I think you have to be realistic about what you want. That's what I mean by this has changed for you and I. I know that if you asked us two years after we built, you know, started Secure Bank Card, hey, what are your hopes and dreams? And I think our hopes and dreams at that point were to be able to make payroll. Um, <laughs> if you asked us two years after that, I think our hopes and dreams were, holy smokes, could this just actually provide us an income that, you know, is sustainable for the lifestyle that we like to live? And then I think two years after that, if you were to ask us that question, we would have said, 
hey, this would be nice to have something that, you know, we could grow. It's become prosperous now. It's starting to pay for itself. We're starting to live our own lifestyle. Maybe this is something we can deliver to our kids. And then I think two years later, it was, well, the kids don't want any part of this. We've delivered on making it profitable. We've delivered on providing a lifestyle for us. Now, what are we looking at? So I, those, I, I think every two years over the last 12 years, what we have expected or what we have wanted or where we wanted to go with the company has changed dramatically. Right. And I think uh, we never really had a specific target of we want it to get this big. Um, but if I think about where we are right now, I just think that we're sitting on so much potential and I can't imagine not exploring that potential. So for us, it's not necessarily about a size. It's about seeing this become become the possibility that it is, I guess, is, is the way I think about it. So it's not, I guess the thing here is that it's not always a certain valuation. It's not a certain processing volume, although those are great things to track along as you go to see how you're growing. It might be something intangible that's important to you. And for me personally, it's important to me um, to see what we've built provide what it can provide to the clients, the things that they need, them getting exactly what they need. Well, and for each person, it's going to be completely different. You know, hey, do you want to employ half of Alpharetta, Georgia? And, you know, that may be your goal. Well, okay, that's not our goal. We want to employ as few people as we possibly can. So I think these things are different for each individual person. And I know for us, you know, everybody always asking us, hey, what is your exit plan? Where are you guys going? You know, what do you, you know, how much longer do you plan on doing this? I mean, as long as I'm having fun and I'm coming in here and enjoying my day on a daily basis, why would I want to sell? Why would I want to get out of this? I don't, you know, and what is the evaluation of the company? The evaluation that is important or the only one that really matters is my own personal evaluation of where am I at? What are we doing? How's the company going? What do you and I believe is the evaluation of the company? And I don't think right now there's a price tag out there big enough to pay what you and I think we have. Right. I would agree with that. And you kind of touched on that. If your goal is growing to a certain a certain size, you do have to think about what is your lifestyle look once you get to that size? If it takes a hundred employees to get to that size, that's a lot more different or a lot different of a scenario um, than if you have 10. It's, you know, there's a lot of stress that you're going to be managing. Um, so you have to think about the factors of that balance of, I want this growth. Am I willing to make sacrifices to get that growth if there are some that come into play? 150%. You and I have always been of the belief that, look, we'd rather have 10 employees that are ecstatic to be here, that are well rewarded for their job and find themselves personally rewarded in doing what they're doing than having a hundred people that we're employing just to employ a hundred people. That's not getting work done. That's just throwing bodies at the problem. It, it creates well, its own nasty set of circumstances. And that's pretty common, unfortunately, in payments. I think people get proud of how big their organization is. Well, are those people all doing meaningful work or are they all, you know, keying applications? Um, are, do they have power to make decisions? Do they come to work and know that they're making a difference in some way or are they moving things from one side of their desk to the other? Um, and there's a big difference in morale um, when you have maybe a lower number, but they feel like their work is meaningful.
Well, and it's not only that. It, you and I have preached this over and over and over again. What is a successful business? For you and I, success is efficiency and being able to do things effectively and efficiently. And that's how we've built our company. That's how we've got it to the point that it is today is not by growing a monstrosity, but by growing a large company that can be managed and run super efficiently and super effectively. That's right. I think it's so important to just hone in on the things that are important to you personally um, as the founder and then focus on those things. Even if everyone around you is focused on something else, um, try to tune out all that noise and focus on what's important to you and what you're trying to accomplish. Okay, let's say that uh, we want to grow and we've realized that the only way for us to grow is to take outside investment. Let's talk about that scenario a little bit. There's a couple of options. You can get private equity investment or you can go um, get debt. Um, let's talk through some of those scenarios and the ups and downs of both of those. Well, and I think you forgot the third one, which is you can bring in an equity partner. True. You can give up a piece of the business and bring in an equity partner. Absolutely. So let's start with private equity. You have experience here. Tell me a little bit about um, the pros and the cons of that from your experience. You know, the pros from bringing in private equity are it's once you strike a deal and the deal is done, it's immediate. Uh, what do I mean by immediate? If you're bringing in private equity because you're wanting to bring capital for the most part into the company, or you're wanting to bring in a resource behind you that can help you deploy capital so that you're going to go into an acquisition strategy, for example, or you need an influx of capital because you are a software company and it costs an enormous amount of money to continue to build out and develop the software that you're using. Uh, the good news is once you strike that deal, man, it's quick. The equity's there, the ability to go out and find acquisitions is there, the support to find those types of acquisitions is there, the availability of the funds is almost immediate. Okay. Talk to me about some of the cons. Mm. Some of the cons. Uh, you're not in charge is probably the biggest con. Your idea and your vision for where it's going and how it's going to be there, you better make sure before you sign on the, on the dotted line that that is in lockstep with the private equity group. They are going to have a very specific vision on where they're going and what they're doing and what their return is going to be. And you are either in lockstep with that or you are not. And quite honestly, once you do the deal, it doesn't matter whether you're in lockstep or not. It's going to be their vision that is the vision that is the direction of the company. That's right. I think one of the common things we see here is that, you know, sometimes when private equity comes into play, they have certain earnings numbers that they're trying to, or, you know, they're trying to do this acquisition strategy. They're trying to get to a certain point. And as the founder, you end up having to make some sacrifices because we're trying to move towards this number goal. And no longer can we focus on the intangibles that you and I were just talking about. They're in charge. They make the decisions. Um, so then you don't have as much freedom to choose between you know, doing what you think is right versus doing what they think is right. And that can put you in a very tricky position. You're trying to be politically correct. They are going to manage to a spreadsheet. They're going to manage to a spreadsheet like nothing you have ever seen. 
They don't care what is going on in your organization. They're going to manage to that number. That is going to mean that you are probably not going to be able to manage towards your hopes and dreams of providing the greatest customer service in the world, the fastest turnaround times in the world, the highest customer relations in the world. Those things that I'm not saying that they are getting away from that or that they're telling you that you need to be horrible at those things. They want you to do well at those things, but you are not going to have the purse strings to manage to some of those things that you think you might. Right. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, if we're talking about trying to get growth and this is the approach that we take to get it, um, low and slow all of a sudden doesn't look so bad anymore. There's nothing wrong with low and slow growth. I think that's an uncommon mentality in payments, um, but it remains 100% yours and you remain 100% in charge uh, when you do that. And you can stay true to your dream, your vision, your values. Well, and you can make the decision. Do we invest company money into A or do we not invest company money into A? I, you get to make that call. That call is on your head. You get to make and it. And it's either right or wrong, but you can be accountable for that. Okay, let's talk about the next option if you want to try to fund uh, some faster growth, which is taking on debt. Um, personally, I'm not a huge fan only because I think I'm, and you're kind of with me, Kevin, that I like to be super conservative, um, in this regard. But I think if I had to choose between the two, between taking on debt or getting outside equity, I, would, I think I would prefer the outside debt because I know the terms, all I have to do is repay it. And, uh, you know, they're not going to tell me exactly what to do unless I'm in at the point where I can't, uh, repay it. Um, what do you think about this? You know, I think about this as like buying a house. We all want a house. Very, very, very few people in the United States have the kind of cash or capital to go out and buy a house with cash. The only way to obtain a house is to get a mortgage. You're going to have to have debt to obtain that dream. So if looking at it from that same perspective, it, think of your business as the same thing. If you want to get to the next level, you can take on debt. Now, what you need to do is you need to be very you want to look at this from a perspective of, can I handle the debt? What happens if things are not going in the same direction next year that they are this year? Am I still going to be able to handle that debt? So debt still gives you the in-charge capability for the most part, but don't get me wrong. There are going to be what's called covenants in whatever loan document you sign to do any kind of debt for your business. Now those covenants can be a wide range of different things. They could say, hey, to maintain this loan, you need to make the payment every month of X. They could also say, you need to make sure you make the payment every month and you need to have a current assets to current liabilities ratio of Y or better. It could be that they say you have to maintain a certain amount of cash on hand for the business. or And what happens is if you fail to meet one of those covenants in any specific time frame, as it is outlined in the covenants, you are therefore in breach. And what happens when you go into breach with debt? They come and take your house away. That's the way that works. So it is the ability for you to go get money. It is the ability for you to manage your business yourself. Uh, and as long as you can maintain and understand that you're capable of handling that debt and you're capable and have the 
ability to manage the covenants associated with that debt. It could be a great way to move forward. So the moral of that story, I think, is just really know the terms, know the special conditions, uh, and just make sure that you're able to cover those things and that you don't get yourself into a situation where you know, you're going to lose it all just because you decided to grow a little bit more quickly and you, you went out to get a loan to do that and then you got in over your head. Let's talk about the last option, which is bringing in a business partner. I think you have some thoughts and feelings on this as well. Well, it's really kind of interesting. You and I have had different experiences with partners. Um, we have had in our total lifetime, you and I have had a total of three. Yeah, just three yes. partnerships. Um, one of them was beyond amazing. I mean, beyond amazing. Uh, two of them, let's just say, had a lot left to be desired uh, at the end of the day. You can bring in a partner. Now, if you bring in a partner, there's certain things you need to consider. You need to consider what is their position coming into the company? What are they doing inside the company? What authority or a vote structure do they have within the company? Um, are they just a are they just an equity partner that's coming in that's uh, you know that kind of just sits to the side and is just putting money in there because they're hoping that your growth and the growth of the company is going to outperform? The stock market could be. Elena and I had one of those partners, still have that partner today. Um, could it be that you have a partner that believes that they are coming in and they are going to have a big say in what you do in the direction of your company? Ooh, that could be dangerous. Could it be a partner that comes in and says that they are going to be a minority partner, but you're going to have to do a certain amount of business with them in return for them coming in as a partner? Ooh, that could be dangerous. Um, then the other bad part about having a partner is it's always fantastic until it's not. And then when it's not, it's like a marriage. Oh my God, it's bloody. It can be nasty. It's the breakup can be horrible. Yeah. Um, I almost think that business partnerships are harder than marriage. You don't have that, um, you know, with marriage, I guess there's no boundaries. I guess you can say anything, but you also own that you have to eventually own that anything. Um, and with business partnerships, that just doesn't, the dynamic doesn't work quite that well. Um, so I think it's really important that if you're going to go into a business partnership, that number one, you're both passionate about the vision of the company and you believe in the company in the direction that it's heading in and you are both heading in the same direction with that. Um, if you're not and you have competing interests about where you want to see this company go, uh, that's a huge red flag and I would not you know, continue with, with someone like that if, if you're so far apart on that. And that's not always easy to see in the beginning. Uh, you want to make it work because you're excited about the idea, but you don't have the hard conversations um, about, you know, ultimately where you want to see this end up. So the business partnership thing can be very tricky. But we will have to say we have had and are still having a wonderful partnership uh, with the Dons, with SBC. And that was because we everyone went into that relationship understanding exactly what the boundaries were, exactly what the roles were, exactly who was responsible for what, and that we stuck to those and that worked out wonderfully.
Yes, we've been very blessed with that partnership. That has been, it, it's restored my faith in partnerships because like you said, the other two have not gone um, as well, but then there's lessons to be learned from that. You make some mistakes in those and you try not to make the same mistakes again, which is all we can say for anything. Okay, let's say that you've gotten the growth that you want and now your goal is to be acquired. So then there's this consolidation that, that takes place. And I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm against this because there is the possibility that this can be done well. The problem is too often we see it not done well. You know, you and I talk all the time about, hey, we're not for sale. We're not looking to be sold. What would we do? Where would we go? We're enjoying what we're doing, yada, yada, yada. Hey, I always tell everybody, I'm not going to lie to you. If somebody backs up the damned up truck, to the front of the door of SPC and I am buried in golden coins. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. You, you know, Hey, it could happen. It's not likely that it's going to happen, but it could happen. It's but my greatest the, fear because what would you do then? I would hound you <laughs> and I would buy you a new car and you would be so excited because we would have even more cars than we have today. <laughs> we would be buried in cars and not know what to do with ourselves. Exit strategy is different for everybody. You know, I had a very deep, meaningful conversation this week with someone about, you know, the direction of where we were going. And man, we've got a great X type of play that we could do here. You know, we probably should go get some private equity money and do this and roll it up and spin it off. And off we go into the sunset and we make a hundred gazillion dollars. That's like the partnership conversation you had a few minutes ago. It's very exciting when you have that conversation. It's very um, eye-opening when you get the gazillion dollars and you realize that everybody got a big piece of that gazillion dollars, but you, <laughs> <laughs> that happens a lot. So, you know, it's kind of, where do you want to go? I, you can do, I've been down the road before with a public company. Uh, you know, we did that at Pipeline. Uh, it's just not the road I want to go down. You've got a lot of uh, external uh things that you have to keep happy in that environment. But that is one exit strategy. Uh, another, but the most prominent exit strategy is to generally allow yourself to be acquired. Uh, and the you, problem I have with that is, you know, a lot of times when that happens, the company is stripped down for parts and it's just really all about that portfolio because that's the thing that's throwing off income month after month. Um, and they, they just, focus on everything that is the portfolio and they don't think of all the intangible things that make that portfolio great. Like there was great customer service before um, with employees who care about outcomes. There were great payment acceptance solutions uh, that solve real business problems. There was fair, consistent pricing. Instead, they try to squeeze more return out of that portfolio by raising prices, reducing the level of service, but and Elena, it's this not, attrition problem. But Elena, it's not your company anymore. You got paid for I, it. No, I know. That's the, <laughs> that's the problem. You've got to, you have to set in that scenario, you have to separate yourself. You do. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of people will do that whole, well, I'm going to be acquired in the acquisition. They want to keep you on for a couple of years to help with the transition. You know, I've seen those work. I've seen those not work. Um, for me, I think that would just be very frustrating because like you said, Elena, I know that's what they're going to do. They're trying to get a return on their investment. 
I know they're going to do things that I would not be in favor of. So for me staying on, that's almost not an option because I really don't want to be around to watch that. Yeah, that's tough. If that's if, if their values don't align with yours, I think you're right. You kind of just have to walk away from it. But as I said a minute ago, they paid you to walk away. Right. So they they backed up that big truck and dumped out but, all the coins. Uh, it may not have even been a big truck. It could have just been a coin purse, but <laughs> they gave you compensation. You have to live with that result. You made the decision. So right. it's up to you. Okay. Earlier, we talked about the end game a little bit uh, and thinking about the exit. And I think that's another problem that we see. You kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier is you know, thinking about your exit before you even, you know, over overall else. So you're thinking about the exit, you start your business and you immediately think about the exit. They're talking about, you know, what is going to be our meaningful revenue or calculating multiples. We're talking to deal brokers. Mm -hmm. I'm going to raise this much revenue and then I can get this, you know, X dollar exit. They lose sight of the important stuff, which I think is building a better product and providing superior service. So how do you, um, how do people get ahead of themselves in this way? They, they get so wrapped up in, I want to make this much money and I want to have this kind of exit. And they kind of forget the things that are required to have that kind of exit and do the work required to have that kind of exit. Man, I wish we had one of those stat guys on this call so that we could ask him, Hey, how many times out of a hundred, when somebody says, I'm going to go raise a gazillion dollars, I'm going to go build this up and then I'm going to roll it up and then I'm going to sell it off and I'm going to make a gazillion times two. How many times out of a hundred is that successful? I would really be interested in that statistic. I don't know that it's really out there, but I would be interested in hearing in that statistic. I guarantee you that number is extremely low. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think that's the whole venture capital concept is they make, they place a lot of bets. Uh, and they know that only a small percentage of them are actually going to be successful. So they end up focusing most of their resources in those ones that they know are going to be successful. And the other ones, they're okay with those failing because they it's a numbers game. They just have to win at one or two out of, I don't know how many, um, but out of a bunch. And so if you're not those one, one or two, then you're on the losing end. Only on days that end in Y. <laughs> I know it's not glamorous, but if you build slowly and you stash away cash so that as you grow, you can spend your own cash, you can, you can build on your own dime and you build more responsibly that way. I think you build more, um, you, you build the way that you want to build and nobody else is telling you how to build. It's not exciting. It's not glamorous, but I think long-term you're going to have the biggest success if you have a great product underneath that. Oh, absolutely. The Franks and beans concept works almost all the time, but you have to have the mentality to keep your head down. Stop looking around. Don't look at the shiny squirrels. Keep trudging forward. Keep moving forward. And eventually it will get there. And I know it sometimes it thinks you think that it won't. And I know that sometimes it feels like it won't, but you will get there. I think it also brings a mindset when you do get there to manage your money better. Why does it do that? Because you've been so used to managing yeah, the shit out of your money. 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You um, it's hard to it's hard to let go of that bootstrapping mentality and actually splurge on on some things that you think are worth splurging. When you come from those roots, it's hard to you know do some big spend things like marketing and you know big software investments and that kind of thing because you're just so used to not spending that kind of money. So that's one of the challenges I think as you grow is you have to realize it's okay to spend more. It's okay to take some risks because it's coming out of my own pocket. I know that I have the decision-making you know, skills to choose to spend it in the smart way. I also think that when you grow this way, you do the low and slow kind of growth um, method that once you create something, it's a lot easier to replicate what you've built. So let's say, you know, if you're an ISO and you're selling into one channel and you've, you've created a system to sell into that channel and it's working really well, now you have a working process and go see if you can bring that into a different vertical or channel um, and see if you can find success in the same way, doing the same things, but maybe in a different environment. So it just becomes easier as you go um, to be able to do those kinds of things and grow that way. And you're not having to rely on anybody else to do it. And you have a fine appreciation for Franks and beans because <laughs> you will eat Franks and beans for several years. Absolutely. Any closing thoughts, Kevin? Franks and beans. <laughs> Be comfortable with Franks and beans. You can live a long time on Franks and beans. You can. Nothing has more protein than beans. That wraps up this episode of Payments Ground Game. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others or leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.